discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, Hu Yang. I'm joined by Xingyu in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, get ready for a discussion to the heart of corporate China's most beloved and sometimes dreaded traditions. Nianhui, or annual company parties. Let's loosen our ties, roll up our sleeves, and explore whether these annual parties will continue to rock on in the corporate world, or if it's time to remix the playlist for the future of workplace festivities. And from Shanghai's Huanghe Road and Nanjing Road. Spotlighted in Blossoms, Shanghai, or Fanhua, to the quaint alleyways of your hometown, every street has a story. What are the stories behind the naming of these roads and streets? You can find us on Apple Podcasts at Roundtable China. And if you want to get in contact with us, feel free to shoot us an email or a voice memo with questions you want us to answer to ezfmroundtable at foxmail dot com. We'd love to have a heart to heart with you. Now on Roundtable, as we continue our discussion, we take a look at a staple in Chinese corporate culture: the tradition of Nianhui, or the annual company party. Some say these events are merely celebratory formalities. Others say they play a key role in workplace dynamics and relationships. Recently brought into the spotlight by the hit movie *Nianhui Bu Neng Ting* or *Johnny Keeps Walking*, the company party has sparked conversations about its relevance and impact. So, Xinghu,、mm-hmm. describe what is the rundown of a typical annual party for companies in China? Sure. Well, for different companies, they might have different differences in when they hold such、uh, an annual party. But it's usually held around the time that leads up to the Spring Festival or the Chinese New Year, which is the most important traditional occasion for Chinese people.、Um, so it usually takes place in January.、Um, And sometimes for other companies,、um, the annual party is held in December, based on the Gregorian year.、Um, I've also seen some companies they are holding、uh, this annual party at the end of a fiscal year, according to these companies'、um, like financial reporting and budgeting situations. So it's usually held in the form of evening banquets. Some big companies they even renting out arenas and performance venues. So on the surface, it's like a dinner gathering for. Celebration. It's a time to bond with the colleagues you might not have seen in a year, or acknowledge what you and the company have accomplished、uh, in a year. But、uh, if you look at the structure of the con- or or the contents of an annual party, you will see that it usually consists of parts like welcome remarks from the boss. Sometimes it's a passionate speech, and it's followed by various performances by the employees. Some can be fun. Some can be really awesome. Awkward, for instance, like this year,、um, the dance Kumu San, or in English, Subject Three, which is a quite hit dance、uh, on social media platforms in China and abroad. This is among the top popular dancing performances during these many annual parties, different companies, and also after that, some have interactive games. Some would hold lucky draws with big prizes, and some companies would also give out awards to employees to for their contributions to the company. Mm. Mm. 
Josh, what about in the UK and some of the other corporate cultures that you have experienced? Does this sound similar to a festive gathering such as the Christmas party? Or maybe you have something of a different offering? Well, I think that in the UK, these corporate party cultures really vary. It depends on the industry. It changes over time. But yeah, in most Western countries, there are annual parties, often around the holiday season, which would be something like Christmas um, most of the time, New Year, which is basically the same time as Christmas, right? And I think um, a lot of these companies, they have decorations, music, uh, they organize theme parties. I'll be honest, I think that quite a lot of alcohol is usually consumed <laughs> at these kind of gatherings. Um, and yeah, there are some team building activities and things like this uh, that go on um, at the start of the year, I think, especially or again, depending on the kind of uh, institute that it is. Um, and if, if they're welcoming in, for example, regularly welcoming in new recruits or new employees, then there might be some sort of team building thing going on. But an annual end of year party is usually around Christmas, New Year's time. And I think there's a lot of similarities to what you guys are describing. What about the performance bit? And apparently for Chinese mm. employees, they say, oh, this rehearsal thing will start at least one month ahead of time. And it is overtime on top of overtime that you will not get paid for. So basically, yeah, there's a lot of extra work that goes in to yeah. put up a show that I don't know which is more embarrassing or I mean entertaining. Is it it's, you know, performing in front of a whole bunch of people that you work with, that you know, or strangers. But anyhow, this is something that uh, a lot of workers feel it's kind of a burden. So there's really? that. Yeah. yeah. And other yeah. Uh, younger employees or employees, period. I see them sort of snitching online. That is, if there's no money. Okay. Show me the money, basically. <laughs> 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 the lucky <Yeah>. draw. <laughs> but, you know, only the really lucky ones are going to get the big prizes. Yes. And and what about everybody else? Anyhow, so there are a lot of these different, like, little thoughts that are going on in people's minds. And um, what do you think is uh, maybe a little bit more unique in this uh, Chinese corporate culture when it comes to these annual parties? Yeah, I think like Keyang just said, what's being talked about the most, what sets apart uh, from these Western companies' uh, annual parties, I think is the performance part. Uh, <laughs> that is, that has become a norm or sometimes a must for many Chinese companies. Um, they would, especially the boss or the managerial, those in managerial positions, they would encourage or sometimes request their staff to perform on the stage. I mean, it sometimes can be a good opportunity for those who want to show their talents mm. um, on the stage to impress their senior employees and, or to have your boss look at you in a different way. But for some other introverts, it can be a total nightmare, especially when you don't want to go on to that stage. But you feel like you have to because you're asked to do so. So that's one of the reasons why this annual party are being talked about so much on social media platforms recently. Actually, we have a recent poll on the Chinese online rec recruitment platform Lago, which shows that over 54% of these interviewees expressed a reluctance to participate in corporate parties. Um, and 
Actually, among them, 47 of these professionals, they consider themselves as Iron or introverted people, and they do not like to participate in such performances, and they feel quite strong pressure uh, from their managers or leaders. Um, sometimes they feel they are being treated differently. And apart from those who don't want to perform, 33% of these reluctant employees, they think they are definitely not that lucky to get the big prize in the lucky draw, so they don't want to be part of it. And also 24% think um, it's the, the annual party is essentially a big meeting to listen to the boss's long speech. <laughs> so they think the annual party is a stage for the boss to shine on the stage, you oh. know? So they, they don't like it. They think it's boring. And um, another 17%, they hate these parties because they actually take up their personal time, like we said. Mm. With the rehearsals With the rehearsal thing, uh. yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, for some companies, probably not a lot. The highlight of the night is when the president or the big boss comes on stage <laughs> and does something drastic. It can't be good, but it's for entertainment and it's for everybody to blow off steam and, you know, see your CEO or, you know, founder, president you know, entertain everybody mm. out of, you know, really good spirit. And I think probably only bosses with a great sense of humor yeah. can do that. Well, there's that. And Josh, yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Is it a unique part of the company culture here in China? And uh, what's the purpose of having these annual company parties anyway? Well, I think that there are some differences, especially in this performance aspect that you mentioned. I don't think that that would probably fly um, at many companies in the UK, um, more because I think that when it comes to those working hours, I mean, uh, as soon as you started talking about the time needed to prepare for these kind of parties, I mean, I guess that uh, a lot of big companies, there will be people specifically employed for company events, but not all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Other employees will be expected to prepare things and basically work overtime for free for these parties. Um, I think there's definitely a big cultural difference there. I know that in the UK, for example, when it comes to working hours, um, most employees are expected to and expect themselves to only um, work on the clock and would be very reluctant and apprehensive to put any effort after the clock after they've clocked off work. Um, and I think that even at this point, a lot of work parties, they don't require employees to attend all of the time. Now, of course, you probably benefit from attending, right? Because uh, networking is networking as, as many, as much standardization and policy that you have in place to make everything fair. Of course, if you get to meet more people, you're gonna get more work opportunities, but, um, and maybe you do really love your colleagues and you wanna have a good party with them. so. Um, but I still don't think they're expected to be there. It's not like required of them at yeah. a lot of companies. Mm. So maybe there's a bit of a difference here. You That's a huge difference. Wrong. If yeah. it's not a yeah, requirement, yeah. Yeah. guess how many people are going to show up? <laughs> <laughs> An empty venue? <laughs> but, yeah. um, but I can see why uh, we have this annual parties in the first place. Um, I think it serves quite a few functions, such as um, it's a time for the company to express appreciation for these employees who have worked very hard in a year. And also it can boost employee morale. It can enhance company culture and value. Uh, it can deepen international communication. 
uh, to improve the relationship between employee and management. It can also foster a sense of belonging and set goals for the next year. So I think um, that's why the companies want these annual parties. Yeah, and also the companies are paying for the parties. So Mm. it's a business. The corporate world, every penny spent, they're expecting something in return, right? Mm. And also there's a certain almost social expectation for companies to host these events as a sign of their success and stability. It's a way for companies to exhibit their financial health and Mm. organizational strength to their employees and sometimes even external stakeholders. I've read online some of the comments from internet users saying that we employees aren't really invited. It's our potential clients, if not (laughs) established clients, are invited because it's for them. It's not really for the employees. So, you know, maybe the companies are different Mm. and their intentions in holding the party could be different as well. Now in 2024, where Millennials and Gen Z increasingly make up a larger proportion of the labor force. And according to Sinyu's citation, if a lot of them don't want to participate (laughs) in the annual party, then what's behind their consideration? Um, I think for many companies, holding annual parties has already become a routine. So it's really hard to just drop the event, um, especially for these young professionals um, who have just joined the workforce. They're not the ones who make the decisions. (laughs) So I think in that way, they feel they are reluctant to join um, this annual party. And also it can be a reflection of these power dynamics within a company. Yeah. I think that young people definitely want something else from their work and from their work culture. And we know that it's actually also been difficult for employers as well when they're trying to figure out. I mean, I've read several articles, for example, like how to motivate your Gen Z employees and what (laughs) to do, you know, to to, to make them happy or to retain this kind of talent um, at work and things like this, because they really do want something quite different. There is a big generational shift. Um, I think that millennials and Gen Z often do prioritize experiences over a lot of traditional formalities. And I think that the idea of the corporate party mm-hmm. um, is is slightly different these days. It's viewed differently from older generations. I think that Um, younger people, they want to focus their time really specifically on what they're doing. They really value this and um, even maybe more than salary, I think. Mm. Um, And so I think also something that we have to mention, and this is quite recent, but it's been years now as well, is that I think the COVID-19 pandemic um, accelerated uh, the adoption of remote work. And I think that a lot of organizations probably um, turned as well as being online or having a hybrid workspace, probably this also influenced approaches to corporate gatherings as well, right? I mm-hmm. mean, if you're not being made to come into the office as much physically, then why are you going to go for anything else other than work, right? So I think that 
we're realizing now that uh, Gen Z especially, and I think that it's changing for everybody, that we're starting to maybe uh, work to live rather than live to work, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, I think this is definitely one of the big shifts we're seeing. Oh, yeah. And what does this change in attitude towards annual parties, particularly, you know, young people's reluctance in participating in performances and listening to lengthy speeches from bosses? And also, this is... You know, a question to everybody across every age group. Um, what does this say about our broader society? And I think uh, Josh made some really spot on points. Yeah. And um, what do you think? Yeah, um, I totally agree with what um, Josh just said. We have seen the shift of perceptions about job or career among these younger generations. And um, they are being quite vocal on social media compared with the previous generations when they are discontent about their job or their boss or this annual parties. Um, they would talk about it on social media. And we also have a movie addressing this phenomenon. So that's quite a development compared with the previous periods. I think the movie talked about, I think many young people, they feel resonated with the movie because it really showed how these young professionals are suffering from these annual parties in a, in a humorous and sarcastic way. So I think in a way it shows that the society is also getting more open and hopefully some companies would know what the younger generations are thinking, what these young employees, they care about, they value, and hopefully adjust their annual parties. Yes, and the arguments that both of you made offer as a really great springboard for me. I concur that there's definitely this changing work dynamic and younger employees might value authenticity and personal space more than traditional hierarchical expressions of corporate loyalty. And mm. this emphasis is moving towards a work culture that respects individual preferences and work-life balance. I know still is probably a long way to go in a lot of the Chinese organizations, but gotta just highlight this fact. And generational differences and values, that's definitely a big one as well. And this change also reflects a broader empowerment of employees, particular younger people, to voice their preferences and uh, influence company culture. And there's at least, I think, this preference to move away from top-down decision-making to a more inclusive approach where employee feedback can matter more to corporate practices. Mm -hmm. And what's most important or kind of a new observation, in my opinion, is um, young employees may seek a flatter, more egalitarian workplace where interactions are less formal than, and more collaborative. And they tend to favor workplaces where communication is open and transparent and where leadership is approachable and inclusive. And this shift is particularly influenced by the global trend towards more democratic and participatory work cultures, where innovation and creativity are seen as emerging from all levels of an organization, not just the top. And in such an environment, leadership is more about facilitating and empowering rather than commanding and controlling. And this approach not only motivates employees, but also fosters a sense of ownership and responsibility among them. And it leads to a more engaged workforce. And when you're talking about trying to understand and motivate your younger workforce or Gen Z, and keep this in mind, 
Okay, so coming up next, ever wondered about the story behind a street name? Join us as we explore the hidden histories and captivating tales behind the names of the streets we walk. Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Josh Cotterell on the line and Sing Yu in the studio. With the Chinese TV drama Blossoms Shanghai or Fanhua soaring in ratings, a notable street featured in the storyline Huanghe Road or Yellow River Road has emerged as a new attraction in Shanghai. In everyone's hometown, no matter the location, there are street names that whisk us down memory lane. Some bear historical and cultural significance; others carry a hint of humor. All of them, however, evoke the passage of time and hold a special place in our hearts. So, tell us what's the fascination behind finding out the stories of street names? Well, I think with rapid urbanization in China, we have seen numerous roads being built in the country, and sometimes their names can be quite interesting.、Um, most recently,、um, there's news report、uh, which says that in the Asian city of Xi'an in Shanxi Province, which is in the northwestern part of the country, a series of new street names have emerged. And what's interesting about these new street names is that some of the names are derived from those of ancient places during the Tang Dynasty, so that's around seven to tenth century,、uh, and some street names. Are inspired by words from ancient Chinese literature.、Uh, for instance, like Shi He Lu or Sui Feng Lu. These two are derived from the verses written by Chinese poet Su Shi,、uh, meaning "Four seasons are harmonious and the grains are harvested." The phrase is to praise the peaceful and prosperous age. And also,、uh, we have seen other street names that are named after the nearby establishment. For example, the road near a nursing home is named as. Leling Lu, literally meaning "happy aging road." So I think in some cities we can find that street names they can carry the cultural and historical significance of this ancient city. That's、mm. quite interesting. Yes.、Um, what makes a really good street name, road name? Do you have some good examples, Josh? Well, I think that in my own country we have loads of really interesting, strange street names,、um, and. I think that's just because in the UK we've had a lot of different languages over centuries that have been dominant, and they've been very different languages from, you know, French to、um, more Celtic-based languages, and of course English. So、um, I think what makes a good street name—it's quite difficult to say. I guess individuality is the main one, and then if it has some sort of story attached to it、um, and some sort of historical significance. Then I think that it really works. I think that a, a lot of roads in China, it seems that they do, they do have a lot of historical significance, right? And、mm-hmm. um, and if you look at them and you read into them, I'm I'm not particularly fluent in Chinese, but I've been really interested to read some of these because、um, I think that you know, for example, there are some roads that if you look at their meaning, you can see that they are deeply connected to the emperor of that time,、um, or it can even be geographical, right?、Um, it could be. 
actually it's quite good for learning Chinese, I guess. <laughs> um, in my own country, though, because I speak fluent English, I've actually neglected learning about a lot of the street names. And I've really not looked into why, for example, certain streets have um, certain names. Um, but we have the UK is a very interesting place for street names. Uh, they, they have historical significance similar to China, but um, also there's a lot of local culture and traditions that have influenced them. And if you've been anywhere, for example, like Wales, they're in a completely different language. Wales famously having the longest street name in the world or one of them, um, which I cannot pronounce. You'll just have to <laughs> look it up online and, and trust me. Okay. So, um, yeah. We'll come back to you. Please provide a classic example of one of the most interesting or memorable to you road names, Josh. And Xingyu, okay. um, actually here in China, we see that sometimes road names are inherited generation after generation, and it possibly has something to do with a local establishment or something. And these are road names, right? People mm -hmm. need to know where they're going. So <laughs> there's definitely a purpose there. Mm -hmm. uh, but also some names have been changing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, like new names being yeah, uh, named yes. um, and sometimes drawing from historical roots. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. Um, what I've noticed is that uh, some of the cities, when they name these streets, they would name after other Chinese cities. Like in Shanghai, you would notice a lot of roads that name after, for instance, like Xizang Road, Yunnan Road, mm -hmm. Guizhou Road. So a lot of Chinese cities. And also, you will find that uh, some of the streets, they are named after lakes, rivers, and seas across China, um, such as in Shenyang, my hometown, you will find uh, streets like Huanghe Dajie, literally meaning Yellow River, Big Street, mm -hmm. and Yangtze River Street, mm -hmm. Changjiangjie, or mm -hmm. Heilongjiangjie, mm -hmm. Heilongjiang River Street. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and also in Harbin, like, we have streets uh, named after the local surrounding establishment, like Jingchajie Police Street or Yuanjie oh. Hospital Street. So these can be quite interesting. You know, these street names are quite easy to remember and serves as a good way to direct these um, locals and also visitors. And now, Josh, are you ready to share your example of uh, the best road name ever? <laughs> <laughs> or the one that's most memorable to you? Sure. Well, actually, many of them I cannot share with you simply because in British language and in British slang, we have so many words that have now that were once very harmless and innocent have now developed <laughs> to be something slightly more. Um, how could how should I say it? Profanity. Not necessarily offensive, but <laughs> yeah, maybe not appropriate to say on uh, daytime radio. Right. Um, but still, I think that's quite interesting. And I encourage um, uh, one to go and look into that if you are interested in history. But there are some ones that have maintained their innocence. One of them is Frying Pan Alley in London. I really like this name. And I think that this has an interesting history behind the name. Um, it was known for its markets and trades, obviously, unsurprisingly, things like food. Um, there's another interesting one called Slippery Gout Lane in Lincolnshire. And this name uh, it was a term for a drainage channel. So apparently this lane was <laughs> slippy, quite, quite disgusting. Um, there's a lot of roads and lanes like this in England that have kind of gross, <laughs> kind, of, kind of gross names. I, I'm not really sure why. Uh, there's also Ha Ha Road in Greenwich, <laughs> London, um, 
Yeah. That's the best. Uh, so, <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, they're, they're some of my favorite. But yeah, Josh, you jogged my memory. Now, one of the street names that I really like is Abbey Road. And every Beatle fan would understand. And, uh, you know, this goes <laughs> to that iconic photo of the Beatles walking across the zebra crossing. Every street, every alley carries within it a love story, a legend, or a forgotten dream. Thank you for joining us on this enchanting stroll down memory lane. Until next time, keep wandering, keep wandering. And I'm He Young. Thank you so much, Xingyu and Josh Cotterell, for joining this discussion. See you next time. <laughs>